The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Hoare, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, January 16th, 2022, on the basis of verses from Luke chapter 3. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. It was one of those traumatic events that you never forget. Back when I was in college, I went to one of those stores that they used to have. Those stores where you could rent movies that were stored on those little round flat discs so that you could take those discs home and then play them in a special disc player so you could watch the movie on your TV. Do you remember those? Well, as I was checking out at one of those video rental stores that they used to have, the lady behind the counter informed me that I had a late fee associated with my account. Now, never mind the fact that this late fee probably amounted to nothing more than pocket change, even for a college student. For me, this was an assault on my character. This was an absolute affront to my good name. And so thankfully, with a little bit of back-and-forth conversation, we were able to get to the bottom of it. Turns out there was another young man named Jonathan Bauer who happened to live in that same town at that same time. Of course, Cases of mistaken identity can be far more consequential than that. In fact, this past week, I read about some tragic events that happened back in 2006. The events involved uh, a van full of college students who were going down the highway when they were hit head-on by a semi-truck going in the opposite direction. Very sadly, the, the families, the parents of five of those college students had to be informed that their children had died in the crash, including the parents of a young woman named Whitney. Whitney's parents were informed that she had died. Whitney's parents mourned their daughter's loss. Whitney's parents had a funeral for her. Whitney's parents even went to a cemetery and saw her casket lowered into the ground. But a full five weeks after the accident had taken place, Whitney's parents found out that a, another young woman who had been in the crash, a woman who had been injured severely but not killed, who had been in the hospital recovering little by little, getting better and better, that this other young woman was, in fact, their daughter Whitney, that she was alive. Cases of mistaken identity can cost people far more than, than just a late fee at a video rental store. I mean, can you imagine if those parents had never found out the truth? if the true identity of their daughter had never been revealed, if they had gone the rest of their lives without that incredibly good news, if they had gone the rest of their lives without that life-changing reality. Well, in the very same way, a case of mistaken identity can be just as costly for you and me. A case of mistaken identity not involving someone else, but instead involving us. It is absolutely vital. It is a, a matter of life and death. In fact, it's a matter of eternal significance for us to know our identity, for us to know who we are and what it is that gives us value and worth. And this identity is not going to be established by a driver's license or a passport. It's not something that can be verified with fingerprints or dental records or a retinal scan. Instead, this event, this identity needs to be established by a single event, 
a single event that took place, first of all, in the life of Jesus, a single event that, second of all, takes place in our lives too, a single event that's really at the heart and core of the verses that are in front of us today. As we look at these verses from Luke chapter 3 this morning, we're going to see that this event called baptism is the cure for cases of mistaken identity. Now, you can completely understand the case of mistaken identity that's described in these verses. Luke has been telling his readers about the ministry of John the Baptist. I like to sometimes think about the work of John the Baptist as it compares to the work of today's preachers and today's churches. You see, these days, preachers and churches might be tempted to think that in order for anyone at all to come to hear God's word, in order for anyone at all to come to church, to gather together to hear God's word, everything needs to be as easy and convenient as possible. The service needs to be held at a convenient day and time. The church needs to be in a, in a very visible location that's easy to get to. There needs to be ample parking, plenty of comfortable seating, needs to be heated in the winter and air-conditioned in the summer. And then, of course, when it, when it comes to the message that people are going to hear, it can't be anything controversial, anything challenging, anything that would otherwise make people feel uncomfortable in any way. And only then, only if everything is, is just right, only then maybe, just maybe, some people will show up. Compare that to what John the Baptist did. John the Baptist set up shop way out of town, way out in the dry and hot wilderness down by the Jordan River. I have a feeling there weren't a ton of cushion chairs set up there for people to sit on. I have a feeling that after he was done preaching each day, John didn't serve people delicious glazers from Quick Trip or nice hot coffee. In fact, speaking of sermons, there was nothing comfortable, nothing convenient about John's message. John told people to repent of their sins. John told people that baptism was the only solution, the only way to be forgiven of their sins. There was absolutely nothing easy, nothing convenient, nothing comfortable for people to go out and hear this guy named John preach, and yet people were heading out to the Jordan River in droves to listen to what this guy had to say and to be baptized in the Jordan River by him. And so it's no wonder that Luke tells us what he does. He says the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. The people, the crowds of people were impressed by what was obvious to them, by what they could see, by what was right in front of their faces. And so they were left wondering, might John possibly be the promised Messiah? Well, in response, Luke tells us that John told the crowds that by focusing on what was obvious and apparent and, and right in front of their faces, the people were settling for an inferior version of what the Messiah came to be. John told the people that the actual Messiah would be much greater than him, would be much more powerful than him. Yes, John could take a little bit of water and, and he could put it on people's heads. He could baptize them, but he needed to rely on God to send his Holy Spirit to work through that water to forgive people's sins. But in contrast, the promised Messiah of himself, of his own authority, would baptize his church, would pour out the Holy Spirit on his church. And yes, John could tell people to repent. He could tell them to turn away from their sins. He could get people ready 
for the judgment of God that was coming, but the Messiah would actually execute that judgment. He would be the one who would separate the wheat from the chaff, who would separate what was fit to be gathered into the barn from that which was fit only to be sent and thrown into the fire. By focusing on what was visible and obvious, the people were settling for something vastly inferior to what God had promised. And that very same case and very same cause of mistaken identity can still happen with us. As we think about our identity, as we think about this this all-important question of who we are and what gives us value and worth, it's only natural, I suppose, that we focus on what our eyes can see, that we focus on what's obvious and apparent. So maybe we focus on things like our popularity and our reputation. How many friends do we have? What do people say about us? Do we get invited and included in all of the the really fun and important events and, and parties that are happening around us? Or maybe we're tempted to focus on our accomplishments. Is our name on the door of that corner office at work, or are we stuck in some crowded cubicle with another coworker? Are we part of the starting lineup, or are we stuck riding the bench? Or maybe we're tempted to, to focus on our actual appearance, our, our looks, our beauty. Is the bathroom scale our best friend or our worst enemy? Do the pictures that we take of ourselves and post online get all kinds of likes and all kinds of comments from the people around us? It's only natural that we focus on things that are obvious, on things that we can see. And, and I suppose you could say that none of those things is inherently evil or wrong. I suppose you could say that each one of those things could be a blessing from God. But let's be absolutely clear about one thing. As the basis for our identity, as the definition of who we are and the basis for our value and worth, each one of them is vastly inferior to the identity that God wants us to have. You heard what the Apostle Paul said to Titus in today's second reading. God wants us to have an identity where we see ourselves as born again. We have been born again. We have been adopted into God's family. We are his dearly loved children. God wants us to have an identity where we realize that in Christ we are justified. Where God is able to look at everything that we've ever done in our lives, all of our accomplishments and all of our failures, and still, in Christ, gives his complete divine stamp of approval. God wants us to have an identity where we see ourselves as heirs of eternal life. Where no matter what might happen to us in this life, no matter what we might have or not have, we know that we've already been written into God's will. And that everything that happens in our lives and everything that happens in history has the goal of bringing us to that eternal reward. That's the identity that God wants us to have. If instead we focus on on what's obvious, on what we can see, on what's right in front of our faces, we'll inevitably be settling for something vastly inferior. Well, thankfully, in cases of mistaken identity, God is pretty good at clearing things up. It's exactly what happened on the banks of the Jordan River that day. There the people were, all wondering in their hearts if John 
might possibly be the Messiah, impressed by what they were seeing from him. Meanwhile, Jesus, up until that point, was just another nameless face in the crowd. But then God changed all of that, and he changed all of that when Jesus was baptized. When Jesus was baptized there in the Jordan River by John, God caused heaven itself to open up, and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus visibly in the form of a dove. And then God the Father himself spoke from heaven for all to hear. He said, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. God cleared everything up when Jesus was baptized. God made it very clear that Jesus was the Messiah and John was not. Jesus was the Son of God and John was not. In fact, God made everything so crystal clear that if you didn't know any better, you'd almost be tempted to think that no one ever questioned Jesus' identity ever again. That from that point forward, no one would ever challenge the claims that Jesus made about himself. That from that point forward, everyone would just embrace Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. That these events on the banks of the Jordan River would soon be followed by a coronation in the palace in Jerusalem, an endless adoration from all of Jesus' people. But of course, as you probably know, that's not what ended up happening. Even though Jesus' identity was cleared up at his baptism, after that, that identity largely remained invisible. It's not as if from that point forward, Jesus walked around with some sort of special glow on his face that set him apart from the crowds. It wasn't as if there was this beam of light that shone down from heaven on him and followed him wherever he went. No, in fact, the, the two specific things that John mentions that would sort of be the epitome of Jesus' work as the Messiah, those things didn't even happen until Jesus had gone back up into heaven. Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on his church on the day of Pentecost, 10 days after his ascension into heaven. And Jesus will judge the living and the dead. He will execute God's judgment on the day when he comes back. In fact, there's really only one person who seemed to get the message loud and clear, who saw this case of mistaken identity completely cleared up and never once forgot it again. Only that one person was Jesus' great spiritual enemy, the devil. Immediately following his baptism by the Jordan River, Jesus went off into the wilderness and for 40 straight days, the devil did his very best to put that identity of Jesus to the test, to get him to doubt it. After these fireworks on the banks of the Jordan River, what, what followed after that almost seems like a bit of a disappointment. And as much as we don't want to hear it, the very same thing can again also happen to us. That identity that God wants us to have, that identity that's, that's vastly superior than any that we could find otherwise, it is ours. We are God's children. We are justified. We are heirs of eternal life. And Paul not only says that that's our identity, he tells us that that, that identity became ours in the very same way as it did for Jesus. It was given to us through baptism. But as much as that identity is ours and as much as it is truly amazing, it largely remains invisible. And that can lead to some disappointment, to say the least. In fact, you know, when I think about it, I think anytime 
a case of mistaken identity is cleared up, there's bound to be some disappointment. As much as there might be relief on one hand, there's probably disappointment on the other. The fact that one Jonathan Bauer living in New Ulm, Minnesota, doesn't have a, a late fee on his account means that another Jonathan Bauer living in New Ulm, Minnesota does. And of course, far worse, as much as it would have been great to be the parents of that young woman named Whitney, to find out that their daughter was actually alive, there is, of course, a, a flip side to that story. There are the parents who sat by the bedside of that young woman that they thought was their daughter, that watched her slowly recover little by little, that slowly gained more and more hope that she would once again be well, only to find out that all along their actual daughter had been dead and her body already put into the ground. Anytime there's a, a case of mistaken identity cleared up, it can very easily lead to disappointment. And, and that can be true of us when we think about the identity that Jesus clears up for us in our baptism. Child of God? Yes, absolutely it's true. But that doesn't instantly make us famous. It doesn't instantly make our social calendars fuller. Justified, forgiven, perfect in God's sight? Absolutely, that is true of us. But that doesn't mean that we start walking around with a, a halo floating above our heads. It doesn't mean that we instantly stop acting selfish and inconsiderate and proud and stubborn toward others. Heir of eternal life, yes, that identity is absolutely ours, but that doesn't mean that everything instantly starts going our way. It doesn't mean that the balance in our bank account or our stock portfolio instantly skyrockets. That identity that we have through baptism is ours, but it largely remains invisible in this life, and that can lead to great disappointment. Which is why it's so important for us to remember where we should look for proof that that identity is ours. You know, as sophisticated as the methods for establishing people's identity become, they're never perfect, are they? Driver's licenses and passports can be stolen and they can be forged. Even fingerprints can be fabricated. In fact, you might be wondering how in today's day and age, with all of the forensic science that we have, how the, how the identities of these two young woman, women could have possibly been mistaken. Well, for starters, the two of them looked quite a bit alike. And then secondly, as first responders arrived on the scene and they, they tried to collect all of the, the personal belongings that had been scattered far and wide around the scene from this terrible crash, one of them mistakenly put the ID of Whitney with this other young woman and the ID of this other young woman with Whitney. And as much as that led to some, some very sad misunderstandings, it's really a wonderful picture for what God has done for us in baptism. In Jesus' baptism, our identity was given to him. Our sin, our guilt, our death became his. So that in our baptism, his identity could become ours. His innocence, his holiness, his life could become our possession. And in fact, it's a, it's a wonderful blessing. It's a wonderful thing that proof of this identity is not found in what we can see in our lives here and now. 
It's not found in what we feel and experience right this second. If it were, then that identity would be a fragile and delicate thing. It would seem safe and secure one, one moment and then shattered into a million pieces the next. So thankfully, that identity, invisible as it often is, is unbreakable. And it's unbreakable because it's based on something that's already happened, something that's done, something that's finished. Jesus' baptism that joined him to us and our baptism that has joined us to him. That is the unbreakable, unmistakable identity that is ours. And if you're ever looking for proof, when you're in desperate need of proof, look no further than your baptism. Amen. <laughs>